Amen. We've had a great weekend already of ministry and mission. Uh, Yesterday, uh, a bunch of us were over in the Family Life Center, and uh, I want to invite you, if you're in the Family Life Center over the next few days, to stroll in there and look uh, at this two different things in there. On one side are a bunch of people. pink, yellow, and blue cardstock that kind of walk through the history of our church and uh, the great things uh, that we have seen happen in the life of our church that, that engage in the community and, and some lessons we've learned, some difficult times we've walked through. And then on the other wall uh, is uh, what the folks who were there yesterday believe uh, about our church and who we are as a people uh, and the, the largest groups in our church and the, and the second largest groups, it's a great visual for you to see where we're going uh, in this missional pathway. I, I want to thank uh, the two men that were here that led us uh, yesterday. Uh, they're on the front row now. They were back there, uh, but now they're on the front row, uh, David Zimmerman and Andrew Carroll, uh, one from Georgia, one from California. Uh, we, we won't hold either of those things against them, uh, and so we're, we're glad that they're here and uh, look forward to February 18th. Uh, I would challenge you, just as Dwayne uh, did, to mark that on your calendar as we look to see uh, the mission that God has for us as a church uh, over the next two, three, four years uh, and how we're going to push out darkness in one area of our community. And, and that's what the missional pathway is really about. Not just in your own life, that you can live on mission uh, and have an impact with those around you, but we as a church made up of a body of believers who can make a real difference in, in our community. So mark your calendar, February 18th. Uh, it'll be a great time. I also want to remind you, uh, next Sunday, Uh, is the fifth Sunday of the month, and every time we have a fifth Sunday in a month, usually occurs four times a year, imagine that, Uh, we participate, we receive the Lord's Supper. So as you walk through this week, I just want to give you an encouragement uh, to prepare yourself spiritually uh, for that wonderful time uh, of remembering the sacrifice uh, of Jesus Christ uh, for us. If you got your Bibles today uh, and you're a good reader, uh, you know we're in the book of James because uh, that's what it says on the screen. We're going to still be in chapter 1 today. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there. Uh, we're going to read the last, uh, kind of the middle section uh, of that chapter, beginning in verse 13. We've already looked at uh, how to have joy in the midst of challenges. We've looked at what it means to, to be wise and, and receive wisdom from the Lord. And, and today uh, we're going to look at uh, how not to get snared uh, by shiny things uh, in our lives or around, uh, around us. So verse 13 of James 1, it says this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we shall be a kind of first fruits 
of his creatures. You know, it's easy for us and it's common for us to attribute evil, uh, even the evil that we perform and say and do, uh, to the devil made me do it. It's easy to attribute that to, to the enemy of God, Satan. It's even easy to attribute that evil to somebody else. They made me do it. And if you have a sibling, you've used that line a lot um, in your history, I'm sure. But, but it's not just true in sort of Christian world. It's true in every aspect of, of life and throughout history. Even Homer, the great writer of mythology, as he's writing from Zeus's perspective, the great Greek god, and is that a real story? No, thank you, because what's it called? Mythology, right? The study of myths, things that are not true. But it does make for good literature. So Homer, in his writings, speaks from the perspective of Zeus, and this is what Zeus says in his writings. It is incredible how easily human beings blame the gods, that's little g for you and me, and believe us to be the source of their troubles. When it is their own wickedness and stupidity that brings upon them sorrows more severe than any which destiny would assign. Most of the problems we have are because of our own frailty, our own failure, our own evil desires, our own selfishness. We want it our way and we want the thing that makes us feel good right now and I don't care what happens to you or what the consequences might be. Proverbs says it this way, a man's own folly ruins his life and yet his heart rages against the Lord. That's true, isn't it? When we make a mess of our life because we make foolish decision after foolish decision, who do we get mad at? Not ourselves. No, we get mad at God. Why did you let this happen, God? Hmm, I don't know. You made 25 bad decisions. You didn't listen to me or any wise counsel because, again, we're in James. You didn't listen to wisdom, and you're mad at me for your own poor decisions, your own folly. And this is not new to the first century or the 21st century. It's true at the beginning of time. When Adam in the garden blames Eve for his own sin, he was innocent. It was that woman you gave me. And then Eve, in all of her great wisdom, blames the serpent and by extension blames God because who created the serpent? God. So she blames God for her problem, for her sin, and Adam blames her. God, you're the creator. You made me. You made all this. It's your fault. That's our flawed logic. And that's what James is speaking to here. Because it's amazing how quick you and I will jeopardize our relationship with our Heavenly Father in the name of self-interest. In order to save our skin, cover our rear, that's the PG version of that phrase, 
We will blame God for anything and everything or someone else in self-interest and thereby damaging our relationship with our Heavenly Father, the one who's loved us unconditionally, so much so that he sent his son to pay the penalty of your nonsense and my nonsense that we're now blaming him for or someone else. And James is redirecting his listeners, his readers, he's redirecting us to see, no, there is a different way. There's a different way to look at this. There's a different way to live an authentic faith. Because let me remind you that God doesn't tempt you. First of all, God can't be tempted. And second, he is not in the tempting business. That's not who he is. He cannot be tempted and he does not tempt period, end of story. It's not God who does the tempting, but it's our own selfish desires, our own selfish ambition that lures us, entices us. And James, if you, if you look at it, it's a very quick phrase. But in verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. James actually uses fishing and hunting illustration here. Those phrases, even in the ancient culture, were fishing and hunting illustrations. We have any fishermen and hunters in the room? Maybe you are, but you know how fishing is. And this, this comes from, actually kind of born out of, a passage in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, where it says that as fish are caught in a cruel net, as birds are taken in a snare, so men are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. So this, this idea that James is using, that this fishing illustration about being lured in. You, if you've been fishing, you know you can use live bait or you can use a lure. And lures are, are wonderful, beautiful little contraptions. They're shiny, some of them. You know, a nice spoon is real shiny and pretty. And it flutters in the water. Some of them have those feathery tails. Others are colored. And what does that fish do? He sees that perfectly moving lure in the water, or she, I guess, both of them. He or she. And, and, and they see it like, mm, that looks good. That looks nice. Let, let, let me test it. And they, and they just tap it and tap it. And tap, just, just testing it a little bit. And then when they're like, oh, yeah, this is the one for me. They take a big bite, and their cheek is never the same. <laughs> Not the same. They've been lured by their own desire the same way that you and I, we see something that's nice and shiny. We all are distracted and, and called by certain shiny objects, and for your, yours might be different than mine. But what do we do? We nibble, nibble, nibble. And then because of our own evil and selfish desires, we take a hold of it. And somewhat, sometimes our cheeks are never the same because it's been ripped by the tragedy of sin, by the heartache of sin. And James is saying, don't allow ourselves to be enticed <clears throat> by sin. 
because of your own evil desire. And trust me, Satan is going to make those opportunities readily available to you because that's his desire, to steal and kill and destroy you. He prowls around like a lion just waiting to pounce. So he's going to make those opportunities for the things that are inside you that are selfish, that are ambitious and evil, that are born of our sinful nature. He's going to make those readily available to us. And he's going to make them pretty and nice and cool. And James is reminding us, don't be enticed by our evil desire. Because when your sinful nature calls you against the word of God, when it calls you against his best plan for your life, when it calls you against his word of truth, the gospel, the good news, James shifts his metaphor from fishing and hunting to biology of humans. If, you, if you're not a fisherman or a hunter and, and, and you can't understand this enticing of a, of a hook, then think about the birth of a child that not just entices but, but ends up with a goal because when a child is conceived, the end goal of that conception is what? The birth of a baby. But the goal of conception is that we would actually have a child about nine months later. And that's what James is talking about here. That, that what happens when you and I fall prey to our own desires, the end goal, the end result, that the final tally of all of that is going to be destruction and heartache. Just like when a child is conceived, the end goal, the end result is the birth of a child. And so when sin is, born, is conceived in our lives and we live out the practical conclusion of that, the result, the goal, the outcome, in James' words, are death. For us, as we think about that idea of spiritual death, We've got to be very clear that when we allow sin to grow and mature in our lives, that sin has become a habit, and that habit is going to lead to your destruction. Now, you may not see it today or tomorrow or next week, but that's the end result of sin is destruction. And, and, and if you've ever been in a place where you have experienced that and you've like, yep, I can give testimony to how sin will wreck your life. It'll destroy you. We probably all have that testimony of something in our life. Destroyed a relationship. Destroyed a job. Uh, de- destroyed a, a friendship. It, it separated our family It took years off of my life. That's what some sin will do to you. And James is like, hear very clearly. Don't allow sin to take hold, to entice you and lure you. Because in the end, it leads to destruction and death. But there's a solution. That's the beauty of God. 
He, he addresses issues that you and I face head on and the things that, that we have and, and the struggles that we have and the sinfulness that's in us, and he provides a solution. And the solution is very simple. It's good news, and that good news is Jesus Christ. And so don't be deceived, he says. Don't be deceived. Right? Four passages earlier, he's like, come to me for wisdom. I give it to you generally, generously, and generally, right? Uh, I'll generally give it to you sometimes, generously. Don't be deceived by the lies in your own life and the lies that are around you. Don't be deceived. Because our God is full of wisdom. He's full of grace. He's full of love. Love so much that he sent Jesus to pay the penalty for your evil desire and your wickedness and your sin. And so don't be deceived. God desires to give you good gifts, not the bright and shiny gifts the world offers you. No, a good and perfect gift that is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights. And that phrase, Father of lights, has a strong theological message. It, it, this idea of Father, He is our Heavenly Father, He is Creator, He is the one who has created us. And he's a father that loves us unconditionally. He's a father that gives us wisdom and discipline. He's a father that, that guides us every step of the way. He's a father who will show us, go this way, don't go that way. He's a father who pours out his love over us. He's a father that stoops low when you're low. He's the one who lifts you up when you're in the miry pit. That's who he is. He's the father of light, lights. The father of life, of growth and purity. Everything is drawn to light. And he's calling us to come to him. Because in him, there's no variation, there's no change. God doesn't have good days and bad days like we do. They're all good and perfect. There's no shadowy moments. And, and teenagers, you'll know this, uh, last year, you know, and if, since it's last year, it's like, you know, that's ancient history. But there was a word, uh, I, don't even, I don't even know it's a word, uh, a three-letter word that was used a lot, and that word was sus. And I had another teenager uh, in the first service come after and say, hey, pastor, if you'll say this phrase, all the students will know that you mean sus. Well, because I'm Gen X and not Gen Z, uh, as soon as he made it from here to there, I for couldn't remember the phrase because <laughs> I should have had him write it down. But it's some other phrase that would mean sus. But anyway, you get the picture. God is not suspicious. He's not shadowy. There's no ill way in him. There's nothing devious about him. He is perfect and good in every way. And he's calling to us as our father, the father of lights, to go to him so that we may Focus our attention not on our own evil desires and our own selfish ways, but no, to the beauty and the grace and the forgiveness and the power of our Heavenly Father. 
that we would receive those good and perfect gifts from him. Because we know that God never changes and his goodness is always available, always evident to us. He is altogether different than the little g-god pretenders that we try to be sometimes and that we allow others in our lives to be. And we allow others, rather than the Father of lights, to have control and power over us when he's calling us today to release it to him, to surrender it to him, to resist the temptation of the shiny objects in our life that would pull us away from the goodness and the greatness of God. Don't be deceived. Know that the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation, desires good and perfect gifts for us. And so I want to pursue no one else but him and him alone. And pursue a relationship with him based on Jesus Christ, the picture of love and forgiveness, the one who came to give us love and forgiveness to give us salvation so that we might be the first fruits of his creatures. That we, because we've experienced salvation, might demonstrate the blessing of God. Because that's what first fruits is. First fruit is a symbol of blessing. That I'm going to give these things away as a blessing for how God has used and developed the land. And so we, as the people of God, are the first fruits of creation because we have the greatest gift of all, the gift of salvation. And so today, my hope for you is that the next time you go to a sporting goods store or the next time you're down in Galveston or the next time you're watching a fishing show or you see someone on the Hallmark Channel, some one of those goofy movies, fishing in a pond, you'll remember, you'll remember what it means to be lured away from the things of God. And you'll say, God, thanks for the reminder that you're good and perfect. And in every way, I want to pursue you with all of who I am. So that I may be a blessing not only to you as my heavenly father, but a blessing to others as the first fruit of all your creation. That's my hope for us. That we would be people of blessing, people of honor, people of truth, people who resist temptation and live in the light of Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me?